Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to The Old Men and the Three ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You know what gets me through the home stretch of the NBA season? A solid mystery thriller, which is why I highly recommend checking out Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. I'm currently listening to The Wager by David Grant. It's a thrilling story of shipwreck, survival, and savagery, culminating in a court-martial that reveals a shocking truth. And good news, as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. And new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. That's audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. Welcome to The Old Man and the Three with JJ Reddick and Tommy Alter presented by Cash App and brought to you by 342 Productions. This is episode 68, Kevin Herter featuring Kenny Beecham and Tyrese Halliburton, Tommy we should start, of course, with acknowledging the world champion, Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, what an awesome moment for their team, for their fan base last night. Um, I I was just thinking about this. This has seemed like the longest season in NBA history. It really, it really has. But well, partially it's because it doesn't, even though the bubble games were so different, it doesn't feel like there was a real break because there really wasn't. And so the bubble game started, what, August of 2020? July 28th. I think the bubble ended sometime in October. We restarted on right before Christmas. It feels like one really, really long season. Really, really long year. Um, and then these guys, Drew and Chris and Devin, are getting on a plane to go to Tokyo. So like they still got another two weeks to go. I know. For all these guys that that played deep into this season, we're going to restart here at the end of September. So it's uh, it's a quick turnaround. Um, you know, our our guy Drew. I'm so happy for him. Um, disappointed for Chris. Uh, I loved what he said after the game. Just like it's time to get right back to work. Um, he, whether he's won a championship or not, and whether he retires a champion or not, by the traditional definition, uh, CP is a champion. You know, he he. Um, He's one of the greatest point guards ever. You have to put him in that that upper echelon of point guards. I um, was happy to see that he played well in in the elimination game. But uh, kudos to the Bucks, man. They they as we discussed with Kevin, um, they they fought back from deficits in almost every series and uh, well deserved champions. I was thinking this last night when I was watching them celebrate. You know, we've we've talked about it a ton with him and about him on the show and everything like that, but. With everything Drew and Lauren has done, have done for uh, their community, and honestly, different communities around the country, not just in Milwaukee or in New Orleans, does it? It felt a little bit like this is you know like nice guys finishing first for once, and it doesn't always happen. Yeah. 
So it's kind of nice to celebrate that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's I think it's great to celebrate, you know, <clears throat> Drew being a champion. Uh, Giannis, of course, uh, can now be talked about by by pundits as one of the all time greats because he is a champion. There was a there was a tweet out this morning uh, about all of his accomplishments. We forget that he's twenty six years old. Um, so this this may be the first of many. We, we'll see, but. Um, you know, I, I'm just I'm I'm so excited for Drew. I'm happy for his family. Well, I'm happy for Bucks fans too. Fifty years, right? Something like fifty years. Well, seventy-one. I think seventy-one was the last one. There were sixty-five thousand people. Yeah, seventy-one to twenty-one is is I think fifty years, if my math is correct, Tommy. I wasn't a math major. Twenty twenty-nine plus twenty-one is generally okay. fifty. I get it. I don't show know. off. I- <laughs> Someone was an economics major at Duke. <laughs> We we should not belabor this intro. We have so much shit to get to in this episode. Uh, Kevin, Kevin was awesome. an awesome guest. And we talk about the Bucks a lot with Kevin, so you're going to get all your Bucks filled there. And yeah, we do talk a lot a lot about the Bucks with Kevin because he he faced them in the conference finals. And then we have uh, Tyrese Halliburton and Kenny Beecham on for uh, a little mailbag sec- segment and uh, the draft. It's a fun draft that you clearly lost. And uh, so yeah, let's get to this episode. This is a great one. All right, let's welcome in our guest, Kevin. Kevin, uh, thanks for joining us. Just so you know, during the Hawks playoff run, we had several, if not dozens of requests for you to come on the show. So for our listeners and our viewers, uh, this is this is a big deal. So thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. This is uh, listening to your podcast a couple times, so this is a joy to be on. We, we appreciate it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the playoffs. So... I, I want to sort of dive into what the Hawks did and and your run with the Hawks, but we're recording this on Monday. Uh, the Bucks are currently up three two going into uh, Game Six tomorrow night at home. Uh, this will come out Wednesday. We we may record something Wednesday morning, but um, you witnessed it firsthand uh, how difficult it is to eliminate this team. I mean, you go back to the Brooklyn series, they seemed like they were dead in the water. You guys get up on them. Um, you know, they were down 2-0 against Phoenix. What it is about, what is it about Milwaukee that's so tough to to beat them four times? Yeah, they just they're a really deep team. And I feel like they got a lot of guys that right now like sacrificing just guys who their roles right now on this Bucks team probably aren't what they would be if they're on a different team. And um Someone I think of firsthand is like Brooke Lopez. You know, Giannis goes out and Brooke Lopez gives us 30. And the next game, it's, you know, he was like a big part of our series. And and Bobby Portis, it, it seems like every time he gets big minutes, he produces big time. And then you have their big three of, of Giannis, Drew, and Chris that are so tough. But I just really kind of feel like their team as a whole, you know, they got a lot of really good guys. And even when guys get out, you know, guys that they can plug and play and step in and, and play big minutes for them. And, um, I mean, Giannis by himself, you know this. Every time you play Giannis, it's everyone all build a wall, build a wall. So it's when you're focusing three guys on one person, um, obviously it's a lot easier for other guys to go off. So they're really just kind of a complete team. Um, defensively, they you know, they started out in their their deep drop with, with Brooke kind of in the paint. And then with us, they started switching everything. And now in this Phoenix series, they went back to the drop. So I feel like they can, they can switch it out. They can do a lot of different things. And um, a team that's kind of been through it. So... They were tough for us. You know, we got two wins out of them, um, two wins against them, but they're a really tough team, obviously. Obviously, you guys both know this, um, but I feel like some of the some casual fans may not have known Chris Middleton before this run. Um, but can you talk about, like, even just Chris Middleton in the last two minutes of games 
and he did this against you guys. He obviously did it against the Nets, and he's done it a few times in this in this final so far. Where this guy, he does have, he seems to, he seems to have like another gear that when it gets to that point, it's like you really want the guy that guy with the ball in his hands. Yeah, he just gets hot. You know, he gets to kind of points in games where he just feels like he gets unconscious. Where he's a he's a tall guy, he kind of he, he fades away a little bit on every shot, and when he gets going, he he's tough to stop. Just I think it was I think it was game three in our game in our series. Sorry, we were playing at home. Um, it was a one-one series, and, and he had I think twenty in the fourth quarter, or something like that. Where it just felt like everything he was he was shooting was going in, and um, for them again, kind of in this national stage, I think at this point on their team, and, and it wasn't like this the last couple of years, it feels like he's their closer. He's kind of their guy that they give to to go get a bucket right now at the end of games. And um, he did that all you know, against us in our series, and obviously he's done that against Phoenix. But he's just a guy that can get really hot and could kind of get to any shot he wants at any time. He's got – Bud has, has empowered him. He's given him great freedom to just sort of take any shot. And a lot of their offensive creation – runs through him it runs through that two-man game with Giannis but to your point he's absolutely their closer and some of this is the knock on Giannis right I was having this conversation the other day with a gentleman who asked me if you're starting a team right now for the future in the NBA are you picking Giannis he was dead set like you got to pick Giannis you got to pick Giannis and I my question to him was is Giannis a closer um, Giannis is going to give Giannis will have 40, 18 and nine tomorrow, probably. Uh, but when it comes down to, we need a bucket, the bucks run everything through Chris. Um, you brought up the drop coverage cause we've uh, talked drop coverage ad nauseum about this on the podcast, but one of the knocks on bud has been that he hasn't been able to make adjustments at times in playoff series and kudos to him. I think they've done it throughout, you know, specifically starting the Brooklyn series where they started really matchup hunting, which is not something he's traditionally done on offense. They started doing that. They've mixed up their defensive coverages, but I want to go back to something you said about Brooke Lopez, um, where in your series, he had an opportunity to step up and have a big game. Uh, the other night he didn't take, I think he took six shots or something like that. Um, your first playoff series or playoff run, you I think you've kind of figured this out. Like series to series, unless you're Trey, unless you're Luca, series to series, your role can shift depending on the team that, that you're playing against and depending on the matchups. Yeah, no, it it 100% can. And, and Brooke, I think, is, is the number one guy for that. And I think just kind of their whole team in general. I mean, Bryn Forbes in that Miami series, he was arguably the Bucks' best player. And kind of just a big reason why they swept is he got hot and – you know, his minutes kind of haven't been the same stance. It's just, I feel like that's a big reason why the Bucks are so good, but it really is like series to series. Um, our team, unfortunately, we were, we were hurt a lot in the playoffs. So we didn't have as much of the personnel to plug and play like, like these other teams do where we can kind of keep switching up lineups. But no, they were in terms of the Bucks and, and their defensive coverage. It was, they were, I mean, game one, I think when Trey had his, his 40, whatever game and um, his shimmy and whatever, <laughs> There in their drop coverage all game, he was able to get to his floaters. And then I believe game two, I think they stayed in drop coverage. And we came back to Atlanta's when they switched. And um, they started switching everything, which against us was really effective. And I think it was – they stayed in the switch game one, at least in the Phoenix series. Maybe it was game two. I didn't notice. And um, and Book and Chris Paul kind of had their way with switching on a big. So um, – but has definitely changed. Like you said, series to series in these, in these playoffs, that's kind of the first thing I noticed – um, that every team you definitely every team starts to play a different way than obviously they did in the regular season. Just such a different game. 
We had Taylor Rooks on recently, um, who is from Atlanta. Um, she lives in New York now, but um, is a huge Hawks fan. And I made a passing comment that the Hawks run to the conference finals was surprising. Maybe that's the wrong word. I don't know. But for a, a lot of casual NBA fans, I think the Hawks being the, the fifth seed, not having home court in any of the rounds, it was a surprising run to the conference finals. What was your team's level of confidence when the playoffs started? I mean, it was it was really high. And I feel like it's so like easy to say. It's so cliche to say, you know, this this locker room's tight, everyone has each other's backs, you know, we're we're confident, young team, blah, blah, blah. Like I feel like in a lot of ways, we just stayed in the moment. And it was we didn't really think about, you know, we're playing the Knicks, and you know, we thought we were better than the Knicks even before the series started. But there's a lot of other people you go into the Philly series and the and the Milwaukee series where there's a lot of people that argue it's like they might have been better teams. But it's kind of like that wasn't really just how we felt. And in the locker room was, all right, we're going game by game. And, you know, why would we not be confident? And just like you said, when there's no pressure on you, when everyone is kind of surprised at when you're winning and when you're not supposed to be winning, it's pretty easy to go into games and just kind of be like, well, I mean, if we lose, we're supposed to lose. If we're not, then it doesn't really matter. And we just we really stayed in the moment, really game by game. We, we didn't get ahead of ourselves, which. I guess it's tough to do when you're kind of surprising everybody, but um, we're talented. And, you know, we kind of, we went, when we started the year, we had a really deep team, really young team, but we felt like we're really, really talented and beat some pretty good teams over the course of the year that we thought if we could just get everyone healthy, we could kind of get everyone healthy and get into the playoffs and obviously find matchups that we like, we'd be a pretty tough out, especially with the way Trey can kind of control a game and um, defensively with Clint kind of being our anchor and, um, I mean, we have shooters that obviously you saw in a, in a couple of these series. We just felt like in a lot of ways we had a complete team that people might not be aware of and, and hadn't seen before. And so when we got in the playoffs, again, it, a lot of it did start with Trey, just kind of his fearlessness and, and how he plays. But everyone fed off that. And it was um, there was a lot of confidence. Honestly, that was the first thing was there was a lot of belief. There was a lot of confidence because it's like, why would we not have that belief or confidence? I, I got a um, so I, you you know this obviously, but there's a there's a large contingent of minority owners uh, in in the ownership group with Atlanta. Tony Ressler's the main guy, and then yep. there's a bunch of smaller owners, and a few of them are Duke guys. Uh, Grant <laughs> being one of them, and then there's a couple of Duke guys up here in New York that I'm friends with, and uh, one of them texted me before the Knicks series, like, "Do you think we have any chance?" And I'm like, "I, I think you're gonna sweep them." Like, yeah. I, I, that to me was an obvious like Hawks are gonna win that series. You guys just had. I, to me, it was uh, way too much skill relative to, to what the Knicks had. So right. I, I wasn't surprised there. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about that series, though, because for a lot of people uh, on the national stage who maybe don't pay attention to the Hawks, uh, your boy Trey is an absolute asshole on the court. <laughs> and he he just – it. In, I don't want to bring myself into it, but you know, in some ways like I was reminded of – me being at Duke and like being the villain. And yeah. I was like, yo, I can, I can really appreciate just how much he embraced that role in that series. He does. And I feel like you can relate to this the most people get, it's a big top. People love to talk about it. You know, the, the bowing, um, the shimmying, I feel like it's a fun way to play the game, but here's what I've been explaining to people in the last month or so. We're at, like, we're at the highest level of our game. Obviously you, you come up your whole life. Everyone, Obviously, all of us tells us how great we are. If you get into MSG, playing the Knicks in the playoffs of, like I said, the highest playoff in basketball, 
in the third possession of the game, the whole entire crowd is chanting F you Trey, like F you. If you get that, like, I feel like I'm not Trey, but I feel like if I had all those people chanting F you, I, the first chance I get, I'm doing something back to the crowd is kind of like an F you back. So this is what I say to people. I'm like, I feel like one, if you're in the same situation, you would do the same thing back. But two, it's like he, and maybe he does. I feel like he didn't create the hate in that series. That was like right away. New York was on him. New York singled him out. and was like, we're going to try to get in this guy's head. We're going to try to flip him. And I mean, Trey, that whole series, you know, talk to talk and he walked the walk. And, you know, obviously at, at game five, he bowed, he kind of put, put away the series, but that wasn't for me, that wasn't something he started. And people love to talk about again, what he was doing during the game. But I'm like, Third possession, game one in their place. He didn't do anything to create it. There was no beef like during the year between our two teams. They had beat us three times, and we overall were just like, all right, whatever. And third possession, it's F you, Trey. I feel like I would – for me, myself, I would do something back. And, again, you're – I feel like you know what that's like being a Duke. Well, <laughs> I was I was going to I was gonna chime in here that basically, you know, my, my freshman year, we played um, all home games, and then our first few – uh, road games were at neutral sites. We played UCLA at Conseco at the time, whatever it's called now, uh, in, in Indiana. Uh, we played Greensboro Coliseum in the Big Ten ACC Challenge against Ohio State. Then we we broke for Christmas. We had a couple home games at Christmas. And then right after the new year, we go to Clemson. It's our first real road game. And we're undefeated. And I'm having a pretty good year to that point. And I get out for warmups and it's like, They've single they to your point, they've singled me out. Like I didn't I don't think I've done anything to this point. And so it took a little bit of time, but at some point you just honestly you just have to embrace it. Because, you know, there's that video that was on the internet of all the fans out <laughs> the Knicks fans out in the street, uh, screaming after they won. Um, and a lot of it directed towards Trey. And it's just like, okay, if they're gonna treat me this way. Uh, I have no choice. I just got. I've got to be the villain. I've got to put on a show. It's part of the performance. The bowing, the head nodding, the the the, the smiles, the waving to the crowd, the blowing kisses, all that shit. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's part of the show. It's the entertainment, right? It's the entertainment of the NBA. But yeah, you got to embrace it. You know, I feel like if if you don't, you kind of let it eat at you, and that's even worse. Did so. uh, Did they give you anything? Any shit? They didn't. Yeah. You know, um. I'm from New York. I'm not from the city. I got a lot of reminders of that during that series on social media. Um, but I feel like overall I was pretty safe. Again, probably half those people in the stands didn't know who I was at the time. So, um, again, there was a lot of attention on people that weren't me, which was good. Again, it was a tough crowd. How would you describe Clifton Park? Clifton Park, New York. How would you describe it? It is if there was a poster for the American suburb, that's what it would probably be. It's a... Uh, you know, it's, it's about 20 minutes north of Albany. Um, you know, just a great place to, to grow up. There's Saratoga. We got a lake. We got a great uh, a racetrack in the summer that just started last week. Uh, popular place. Again, if, if you're in New York, we got uh, all the bars bar still people go up. Patino, it's a big spot. Um, Red Sox owner, some has a, has a house on the lake. So it's a big time summer spot for me. Um, there's probably nothing up there other than Lake George and the track and, and the city that you guys would know and be able to connect to, but it's a great suburb, great place to grow up. So for the, for the fans listening to this, who don't know much about your backstory, Kevin, like at what point in your, at what point were you like, okay, the NBA is actually a realistic possibility because I would assume there's not a ton of uh, NBA talent coming in and out of Clifton park 
every year or so? Not exactly. Um, it was honestly, it was, it was like my, my freshman year in college was kind of the first time I started to think about it. And I played for like my senior in high school, I played for a USA team. We traveled my freshman year after college playing the USA team. And I guess I probably should have started to think about it more there. You know, my, my 18, like USA team was, was unbelievably stacked. You know, Trey, Michael Porter, Markel, Mo Bamba. Like we had just, every player on that team is now in the NBA. And at the time it was like, you probably knew all those guys are going to be in the NBA, but um, I didn't start thinking until really in college. Um, I love college. I love playing. I love playing in college. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and then really it was kind of after my sophomore year that, you know, went through the process. And again, even after my sophomore year, I wasn't even going to, I wasn't going to go through the draft process. We finished that year. We lose to Wisconsin in the big 10 tournament. Um, think we're going to make the NCAA tournament. Don't make it. Think we're going to be in the NIT for sure as a one or two seed. Don't make the NIT and all of a sudden our season's over. And so we're I'm like we had practiced a week leading up to the NIT selection show. And all of a sudden we're like, like sitting in the training room. I'm, I'm icing my my knees or whatever. And it's all of a sudden your season's done. So um, I went through the draft process because my dad wanted me to play pickup. He thought it'd be a really good opportunity to literally just get better. And hey, like, you know, we think you're going to get invited to the combine, go there and just and play against these guys. See, you know, weigh yourself up. Maybe we'll do this again next year. And um and went to the combine and played really well. So it was kind of, that was it with college, but it kind of all happened pretty quickly. It really wasn't something I was thinking about in high school. You, you, by the way, you missed out on one of the great non rivalries in sports. Can we make Duke and Maryland. Do we like have, do we have the clout to like, to make this happen? We gotta have, we gotta bring back a, just a Duke Maryland classic. Um, again, it's a non rivalry. I'm not saying Maryland's a rival, but, <laughs> <laughs> Maryland fans are responsible for many years Maryland fans are responsible for three years of therapy that I've had um. that's all people talk about I, oh my god we had, I don't think I could walk through camps without someone coming up to me and talking about how pissed they were we weren't in the ACC and when we were playing UNC when we were playing Duke and there's still so many fans in Maryland obviously that, that want to play Duke again but want to be back in the ACC so we got to definitely bring back some of those rivalries. Kevin, how did you not end up at Syracuse? They they didn't have scholarships. The whole the kind of the Fab Mello debacle. Um, they for my class they had one scholarship, or at the time I think they had two. They didn't really commit. And then Tyus Battle, who he's really good. I know Ty as well. So he ended up taking my scholarship uh, when they were recruiting me, and uh, they wanted me to either redshirt or go to prep school and. I mean, I had other, a lot of other schools at that level that were recruiting me. So they literally just ran out of scholarships. Um, you know, Sarah, they're always someone I was close with. They came and saw me. They were one of the few teams that obviously saw me in high school, which I guess I would, I would hope they would come and see me in high school only being in Syracuse. But, um, yeah, that USA stuff, Coach Beheim, he came out to me with conversations. He's like, listen, we loved you the whole time. I just I couldn't get you. So um, that's how it worked out. This, this, I'm going to read a quote to you here. This is from early in your career. Um, so the question, the question was, when you're watching film, who are some players you study? <laughs> you know what's coming. <laughs> as a player, I want to be more of a complete package rather than just being known as a three-point shooter. Coming out of a college, I got the Kyle Korver and J.J. Redick comparisons pretty quickly. Those guys are unbelievable, but for me, I'm looking more towards guys like Bradley Beal and Gordon Hayward and Clay Thompson, since those guys do a little bit more off the dribble than Kyle and JJ, and they have more of a complete game. 
blah, 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 blah. Anyways, um, <laughs> when I, this was like right after your rookie year, I think, is when you said this. And when I saw it, I was like, man, fuck that guy. Like, literally, I was so mad. I was like, man, I'm going into my 14th year. Like, that's disrespectful, whatever it was. And, um, but then I was like thinking about it. And I was like, man, I was like, like, I, I, in a way, have gone through what he's going through for the next 10 plus years in that, you know, as a, as a white guy who can shoot, you get pigeonholed oh, and sure. your immediate sort of defense mechanism is to, and I'm not, I, you're, you're more skilled than I ever was at 22. I'll say that, but like my, your immediate defense mechanism is like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, yeah. why do I have to get compared to the the older white shooter. I get it, man. (laughs) I get it. But can you just, can you just speak a little bit about, uh, that challenge of being pigeonholed when you are a white guy who can shoot? I mean, it starts very young. It starts very early. Uh, your AU days. And I'm one of the few white guys on the court, even back in AU days and you step in the game and the coach points at you and he, and he goes, shooter, you know, there's, that's usually where it starts. Um, but no, I feel like I was, I guess, your defense mechanism. For me, like I said, when I came out of the scene so kind of quickly that after my sophomore year, people who hadn't seen me played, and that was this was what I'd probably say 80% of the NBA writers and, and the people doing the draft stuff hadn't seen me play up to this point. So it was like, oh, this white guy from Maryland, this guy's shooter. Which I'm like, cool. But it's like, you know, <laughs> your immediate defense, like, I can do more than that. Like, I'm about to play in the NBA. Um, so that was really, it was after my rookie year and, and a lot of it, honestly, was from freaking chasing you and Kyle around that whole year. Is like, listen, I can't, I can't run off screens and sprint and get to a spot the way these guys can shoot. I got to be able to do other stuff too, um, at a high level. And so that was as much of a part of it as, as me trying to challenge myself and, and not pigeonhole myself and um, and not allow kind of myself to be put in a role that would get me through the NBA. But yeah, I mean, it was honestly, it was from playing against you guys. And if that was after my rookie year, it was kind of like, it was eye-opening again, seeing different people's skill set and, and playing against this guy and be like, oh, I can see my game evolving to be more like his rather than like this guy. Love it. No, because uh, I, so, so Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce um, had just, uh, you know, he, I think he brought you to a 76ers game in the playoffs yep. to show you sort of a playoff game. Yep. That was my second year in Philly. And it was around the time that you had said that. And I was like, uh, Lloyd, I'm busy. I'm busy. <laughs> so you were made it through. In fairness, in fairness, in fairness, I, I'm only I'm only kidding with you. I actually don't give a fuck at all. But uh, in fairness, like you're you're much you're you're six, eight. You're 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 much bigger than I am. Uh, you have a six, seven something wingspan. I have a negative wingspan. Like we're we're two very different players. And I had to figure out a way for me to be really good. And so that became I've got to be really well conditioned. I've got to be able to sprint off screens. So I want to share a little story real quick. I, on Thursday, I was playing Sabonic, which is a, a course out here on Long Island. And one of the gentlemen I was playing with asked me a question. He said, you know, he's like, I, I just don't understand why you. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, well, there's a lot of like, if you go to any level of basketball, there's a lot of good white guys that are between like six three and six five that can really shoot it. And he's like, how how have you been able to play 15 years? And initially, I was I handled the question well, but initially I was a little pissed off. But then when I left, I was kind of like, no, I get it. Like, if you've played basketball at any level. And there's that spot up white guy shooter 
that can't do anything else, then yes, like I get why people want to make that comp because you can only compare what you know. Um, you know what I mean? You can, you can only make the comp on what you know. Um, but what I, what I said to him was, is like, number one, I can play basketball. But number two, it's like, if I was in a gym and you got the best D3 shooter and the best D2 shooter and the best D1 shooter, and we shot spot shots, stand still from 50, you know, 50 shots from NBA range, like I'm probably going to lose that. I honestly, I'm probably going to lose that. But if we went and played in a game, I'm getting buckets. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm getting buckets. Sure. I would argue you'd lose that either. I feel like well, that's I'd a shock. You get, to, you get to NBA range. Guys can't shoot that far. But no, I totally know what you mean. It's You hate to say like a lot of you, you had the token white guy and it's like, how are you going to stick out? How are you going to be different than it's standing in the corner and shooting threes? And again, being the guy that when you walk in the game, they point at you and they're like, hey, this guy can shoot. Um, so yeah, it's... Again, it's kind of a progression. You know, I said that after my rookie year. Hopefully my game's a little bit different than it was then. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime, that sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I've ranted about this before, but I mean it. I miss the days when coaches wore suits to games. Like Pat Riley. He just knew how to dress. And you can too thanks to Indochino. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom. Wear your new look right out of the box and stay out of your budget's red zone with custom suits starting at just $3.99. I'm calling finals games now. and My plan is to outdress the legend Mike Breen. That's going to be a difficult task. I just got this navy suit from Indochino and I did all my measurements online. I was able to customize the fabric so it's just right for my skin. The process was super fast and I was especially impressed by that pricing. And if you need a suit but don't know where to begin... Indochino tells you what's in style, so you're not guessing when choosing customizations. So think of Pat Riley and level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code OLDMAN to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code OLDMAN. Did you have a, a welcome to the NBA moment where you were just like, this is a different level? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was back to my rookie year. We're on a road trip. I think um this point I'm coming off the bench. I think I was a second wing off the bench. Um, so we get into the game and playing the Warriors in Oracle. Um, Kevin Durant's on the team. And so I like get switched on to him. And so right away – I'm like, all right, I'm guarding Kevin Durant. Obviously, you know, freaking out a little bit. And so right away, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get in this guy. Like, I don't – he can't just baby me right now on TV. So I tried to pressure him, and he loses the ball, goes out to half court. So right on, I'm like, hell yeah. Like, this guy's about to pick it up. He's going to give it up. I'm going to be good. So I follow him out to half court. I'm like, I'm going to – I'm pressuring this guy. Like, what? And he takes – like, he catches it. He, like, looks at the shot clock. There's, like, six seconds left and takes, like, three dribbles. He just – 
left hand, three dribbles, gets to around 18 feet, just hits me with a quick shoulder in the chest and just fades away, bangs the two. And as he's, as he's going back in defense, he's back penalty, just goes, welcome to the league, Rook. And so that was my first moment of like, God, these guys are just unbelievable. Again, yeah, I'm guarding Kevin Hart. I think I'm doing a great job. He loses the ball. He's at half court, and he just hits, like, the easiest dribble pull-up on me. And uh, we had guys on our team, like Torian Prince at the time, like, broke down laughing on the court. You can actually see it in film. He literally, like, turned and looked at me with, like, the biggest smile on his face because he was guarding him. But that was, I think, that was definitely one of my welcome to the NBA moments. It's at least one I, one I remember very vividly. You know, I, I always say this about Kevin it's like guarding him is is impossible for a number of reasons, one of which is that the referees allow him to carry the ball every time he dribbles it. Yeah. And when he came on the podcast, I pointed this out to him and he admitted it. He so did. when you say he took three dribbles, he had three discontinued dribbles I'm, by, wow. the, by, the, by the rule book. I'm just letting you know that. Credit for him for admitting to it. A lot of guys won't now. I mean, he's, you know, when you get to that level, they, they let you get away with a lot too. So each guy kind of has his little niche he gets away with. Uh, I brought up this this uh, that story of Lloyd bringing you to the to the playoffs a few years ago. To I think it was either game three or four in Philly. It might have been game six as well, but it was one of the Philly games in the Toronto series. And um, you know, just to be around the environment, or whatever. But you know, having just gone through the war, having just gone through the battle, like what are some lessons and some takeaways that you have from your first playoff run? I mean, they're they're endless. It's I think right away, just the intensity of the games is, is, is picked up so much. And each game, it feels like it means something. And that was kind of – it was an adjustment for me coming from, coming from college, I guess, was obviously how long the NBA season is. And, and you could be on game, whatever, 60. And, and honestly, there's a lot of nights to show up to the gym. And, and it's tough to mentally, you know, want to play that night. And it's, you show up and it's, you're, you're tired, you're mentally tired. And it's just, it's a long marathon type of year. And then um, it was kind of refreshing to get to the playoffs and just each game just felt super important. And I guess that was something in, in our two years, my first two years, we didn't have enough of those games, but it was nice to feel like you're playing a meaningful basketball, um, how you prepare for each game. Um, just, and again, the level of intensity, how the game is officiated. I feel like it was, it was back to, it was like real basketball. And that was something for me that people going into it, our media, everyone on the outside was, can the Hawks, can they, can they handle the physicality? The, the NBA playoffs are so much different. And, and they're probably even, you know, 10 years ago, that, that the way that game was officiated is a lot different than it was today. But for me, it was like, it was back to real basketball. You know, the, the bumps where you're sliding and they call the block as a guy, like all the little ticky tack fouls that they call over the course of the year that most of the superstars get. And, and you're looking at refs and they really don't have a good response of why they called the foul. Like all those fouls were thrown out and it was legit basketball. Um, it was physical, but I think guess just, just taking away like a kind of, talked about earlier is, is staying in the moment and staying game by game. Um, you know, not looking at a series as a whole, but looking at it as each individual matchup and each individual battle. And that's something I think Milwaukee's talked about. Um, you know, was it they've they've dropped game one of the past three series and it kind of seems like, you know, they they just feel teams out. And again, they they change so much from game one of our series to game two. And it's the same thing in the finals now. Like, you know, each each individual matchup is so important um, that hopefully we're in these positions moving forward again. And uh, obviously in the future that, you know, we can stay in the moment. You don't look at series of seven games. You look at them as, as game one and, and game two. And, uh, but there's so many, I mean, the playoffs were a lot of fun and there's a lot of things you learn from it. You use the word matchup and I'm going to just kind of bring this up, but 
to me, you you showed uh, your your potential value in this league in this playoff run because of your ability to match up, and in some cases, i.e., the the Philly series where you played particularly well, um, you were able to take advantage of matchups you have with smaller players. Um, like, do you feel like your skill set and size is perfectly suited for the playoffs? I do. I do. Just, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, a lot of those, like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to try to do a lot of different things and willing to be the guy that, yeah, and this is easy to say, you know, you're going to come off the bench tonight. You're going to start tonight and um, willing to be the guy that, that wants to play defense, you know, kind of that, that the ultimate glue guy is someone that I, I feel like I fit into that role especially with us in, in this playoff series, I was able to show that to everybody. But um, some I take pride in, again, being that that non-just shooter, um, a guy on the court that can do a lot of different things. And um, if you're going to be on the court in a playoff series, as you know, you, you need to be able to do more than just one thing. Just the level of basketball is so high. And um, I do. I feel like I was a lot of sh- able to show a lot of different things in, in this run. And it gets me excited just you know, where I think I'm at and as, as an individual level where I could be you know, in the future and hopefully next year. I want to just remind uh, the listener just anecdotally and Tom, you can jump in after this, you know, Kevin is 22. Like he doesn't, you, you don't turn 23 until the end of next month. So there's still a lot, as good as you are right now, there's still a ton of room for growth. And again, given your size, uh, the potential is super high, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to play against you you know in the future and, and and watch you continue to grow it's been it's been awesome to watch you grow these these past three years yeah i appreciate that appreciate that a lot kevin you talked you were talking earlier about a little bit of the you guys were going into this with such limited expectations that it was almost like you were playing with house money to a certain extent like in the philly series in that game five where you had the crazy comeback and then the game seven where i think after losing at home i think a lot of people sort of wrote you guys off was the was everything obviously you were confident but like were there any moments of doubt where you guys were like all right you know what we had we've had a nice run to this point but this is this is like shaky at this point or were you sort of always like it it always felt like every time you got punched in the face you'd like wobble a little bit and then you would come back and and when you sort of threw the last counter punch in game seven they weren't ready for it it was and it was kind of funny. It just, it felt like we just kept finding different ways to win. And I guess one of the lower moments, you know, that, that game five, like we were getting, we were getting our ass kicked. And I think it was, it was the third quarter, the second quarter, we were almost down 30 and like somehow we come back and we win that game. And it was almost like in that locker room after game five, it was like as much of shock as it was happiness and, and knowing we're going back, you know, with the opportunity to win game six at home and end the series, it was like, how did we just win that game? And so even after we lost game six at home, um, you know, we didn't feel like we played that great and still had a chance to win that game. So when we go back game seven, going back to Philly, again, we're kind of like, we just won here. We won game one here, but we, for the most part, kicked their ass and then almost blew it at the end of the game. But um, we had been there and done that. And we just kept finding ways to win. And we kept having different guys step up that you know, game five, Lou Williams just got Lou Williams. He's got hot and he carried us for a while. And then game seven was my turn. And, um, in game one of the Milwaukee State, it just, it was always, I felt like it was someone different. We just kept finding a way that that's a lot of, you know, why our confidence is so high and why we never wavered is we won some games that we probably shouldn't have won. We can't talk about this Hawks season and this Hawks run without ta- talking about Nate and, and talking about the coaching change 
And I'm sensitive to the fact that there was a coaching change and, and Lloyd, uh, who I played for my first year in Philly is, is my guy. Um, but I think so much of, of coaching, playing in the NBA, and I'm sure you figured this out by now is, is about fit and the right personality fit, the right stylistic fit. Um, what made Nate the right guy for this group? In some ways it's, it's simple as he was just kind of, he was a different voice. He was a new voice. Um, he was someone that we brought in at the start of this year that wasn't a part of our, our original coaching staff running from the last two years. And, uh, was honestly, he was really quiet and for the first half of the year and, and didn't really say much, but it was someone that there was, there was almost like a respect level. It was like, he was in the gym and, and you respected him. You respected he used to play in the league and was a head coach and probably shouldn't have been fired in Indiana, but was, and all of a sudden now we got this, this great coach that's on our staff and just things just didn't go our way to start the year. Um, and a lot of that, like you said, I, I was, I always like Lloyd, always appreciated him, but um, in a lot of ways, it just kind of felt like coming into that all-star break, like you needed a change and it was, you know, we, we might need a new voice. Just we're underachieving. I think we were, we were 14 and 20 and, you know, I don't think it, it definitely all doesn't point at Lloyd. And that was something we talked about was, you know, right now he's taking the fall for it, but everyone's underachieving at this point. And McMillan came in and, um, even for that first week, like he didn't exactly put his fingerprints all over our roster, all over our playbook or any of that. He kind of you know, led us to our thing and we rattled off eight wins. And I guess that's the NBA. And, and two of those started you know, right when he took over, we went on an eight game winning streak. And it wasn't like he came in and immediately changed a million different things. It was just, there was a different energy in the locker room. There's a different voice. And sometimes they need that. And then obviously as the course of the season went on, he started to change things and, um, he was just great. It's, you know, for, for our offense who can, you know, first couple of years, it, you know, again, trade myself a rookie year. It can be erratic. It's fast paced. There's a lot of lobs, but there's not a lot of organization. And Mac kind of came in and it was, okay, you guys are really young. You play really fast and you, you're athletic and you do different things, but here, let's, let's mix it. We got to slow down. We got to run some plays sometimes and we got to play defense. And it was a kind of a, a good mix of him slowly starting to do that over the course of the year. And, um, and we responded to it. It was our team really responded to, it and he kind of kept pushing the right buttons and playing the right guys. You've seen this interim coach or this, you know, replacement coach midseason bump in the NBA a number of times historically, where uh, there's a new voice, team rattles off three or four wins in a row, in your case, eight. But to have that level of sustained success and then to make a deep playoff run speaks to uh, a bunch of things. But, you know, Nate is. A, Nate is a great coach, and if you look everywhere he's been as a coach, he's won. As a player, everywhere he was as a player, he won. Um, he's one of, to me, one of the most underrated coaches uh, in the NBA. So I, I when, it, when, when he was in Indiana, people used to say this about Nate. Like They'd be like, yeah, it's like everything that Indiana runs is just very vanilla. You know, Their defensive concepts are vanilla. Their play calling is vanilla. And I'm like, yeah, but... It's like the best vanilla in the fucking world. Right, but <laughs> like, it works. It's like just it works. really good. It's really good vanilla. Like, yes. you know, there's five or six plays that they're going to run. Okay, but they execute them, you know? And right. and uh, so I just, I, I've always enjoyed, uh, you know, watching his teams play and and and, and playing against them. He's, uh, and I'm happy that he's, he resigned and, and has that, uh, has a long-term deal in place. Uh, I, I want to jump back to last offseason real quick because, you know, I want to get your perspective as a young player, you're, you're, you know, coming up on your rookie extension and a team that you're on goes out and signs a free agent to a big contract who also plays your position. 
and I I just because I, I not that I had this exactly happen my early in my career, but like as a young player, there's got to be a lot of things going through your head uh, when something like that happens when when the Hawks signed Bogdanovich. There was obviously there was, and it, it was an immediate joy and and great. We just brought in this guy, um, but I yeah I remember I, I literally had like just finished working out. Um, it was like four or five o'clock. I was sitting in the locker room, I think, with probably with John and, and Bruno or whoever else was on our team, and it, it just showed up that that we signed him. And I knew he was a great player. Like it was like one of those things from playing against him. I knew he was great, and but it was also it was kind of one of those moments. It was like you know well, I'm here. So, so like now what is this, what does my future like look like here in Atlanta? And, you know, now that we signed this guy for a year, um, getting paid really well and deserves every penny, especially what he did for us this year. But yeah, immediately it wasn't, you know, I wasn't super positive about it, but, um, you know, my agent did a really good job of keeping me level-headed. Um, just tell me, you know, it's a long career. You're going to learn a lot from this guy. Um, you know, Atlanta still really loves you, loves the way you play, just you know, trying to win, I guess, a lot quicker than maybe our time scale was when we didn't bring in all these free agents. And um, you know, he wasn't the only guy. You know, there was you know, Gallo, someone who's been established and been a great NBA guy's whole career. We bring him in on a on a 20 million whatever year deal. And again, a guy that you know is gonna play a lot and um just brought in really good vets that right away it was like, okay, like things are getting serious around here. Like we're not <laughs> the organization doesn't want to win 25 games again. And so I, I think right away, you know, from the rest of that night, again, talk, my agent did a great job of, of keeping me level headed. And it was kind of like, all right, like, you know, now how are you going to get on the floor? You know, what's your role going to look like, you know, and, and, and how are you going to respond? And um, don't be the guy that you're showing up with negative energy, you know, the first day he gets here. And, and that's just you know not the right way to handle it, especially in the NBA. You could, could have been out of here in a couple months if I handled it a different way. And, um, and it was easy, like bogey got here and, and I love bogeys. He's, he's a really good guy. You know, Gal is a really good guy. I think that made it easy is, you know, how they were when they got to the team and, um, change a lot of different things. But obviously you look at the course of the year, it, it all worked out. And for me, I, I actually, I love playing with bogeys. One of the other guys on our team that I like playing with the most, just, he knows the game, um, comes from a background in Europe where, you know, set of play team basketball, you know, competes at a really high level. It plays a game with a lot of toughness. So, um, brought him in. He's, you know, obviously we play the same position mostly, but he's also a guy that I love sharing the court with too. I think as a young player, this is such an important lesson to learn and navigating all of this because so much in the league is out of your control. And when you sort of let go of that, everything, it's not some of it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. There's very little that you can control. There's like right. your, your routine is basically what you control. Your, right. your, your input your input and your work is what you can control. But, you know, navigating that at, 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 at a, as a young player is great because, you know, there's going to be a time in your sixth year, in your seventh year, in your 11th year, your 13th year. You see it over and over again. Like you, you get to year 15, like I've seen every version of this movie now. It's getting recycled. And, you know, you're able emotionally, mentally to deal with it, I think, better. And two, you know, Tommy and I talked about this a bunch during your run, but I love the roster construction because you just put a bunch of skilled guys around Trey and Clint and John pick and rolls. And, you know, when Trey goes out of the game, you're not necessarily dropping off in guys, the amount of guys that you can play through because you have guys like yourself, like Bogey, who can who can do more than just spot up and shoot the basketball. I want to bring up Clint because <clears throat> Clint was like a throwaway in in a trade from Houston. Like it was basically just like we're gonna just get rid of him, whatever. And 
didn't get anything really back for him. And he was so valuable for you guys. And given your roster construction, it was it was the perfect fit. It was the perfect fit. Completely. And like he changed the way we could he's just one of those guys. I mean, like Rudy Gobert, you know, Joel, Clint, like I'm putting him in those Giannis. You know, those guys where it's like defensively, they they like can truly change the way you play defense and change the way you play. And and it was like honestly, it was kind of night and day from the from the point that we started the season, um, just how much better Clint was than I guess the alternative of guys that we've had that position. Just like we felt like just overall we could funnel everything down to him. It was like you can pressure the ball so much more, you can be more aggressive, you can gamble a little bit more because you always know like Clint's behind you and he's always gonna get a contest. And Really, he was he was like he was unbelievable all year, and I feel like even in some ways he was possibly underappreciated a little bit, um, just being you know playing that Rudy Gobert role of just like protecting the rim and, um, and and blocking everything. So he's been huge for us. Another guy like you said that just puts pressure on the rim. Um, one of the best guys in the league, I think, at, at catching lobs and, and always being around the basket um, has really good instincts. But defensively, has just elevated. I think everybody on the team tremendously ever since he's come here. And and I was surprised at zero. I was like, yeah, I, I forget even what the trade was, but it, it was like you know we really didn't have to give up anything to get this guy. And, and and I remember from playing against him how good he was, and from watching him coming up, it was like, geez, we just got him for nothing. Kevin, what was your favorite meme about you during this playoff run? I mean, you. Uh, I mean, there was a million. I think the Rick Ashley one that was one of the funnier ones. I think people said that to me uh, a bunch. I think you know the Atlanta fan base had their fun with with a bunch of other ones. There was a million. Yeah, I was. My family was sending them. My family was was probably laughing at them more than everybody else was on the internet. But uh, it was funny. It was it was a fun time, especially right after the Philly series. The only other thing we're gonna let you go soon. The only other thing I have to ask you. I talked to Evan Turner before we got on. And he had three. So my first question is, what is your favorite nickname for yourself? Because I know there are a bunch. The second thing is, Evan said you were a good baseball player, which we should talk about briefly. And then the third thing is, he said to ask you about trap music. So I don't know what trap that means music. exactly. Et is asking me about that. Uh, my favorite nickname. I think I laughed the most at the Kayvon one. I think that was. That was something that, again, for my rookie year, people just started calling me that, and that was something I was laughing at. Uh, I think Red Velvet's Red Velvet's funny. I, I did that, that Bleacher one, so the Bleacher Report thing on it. So either or, you know, I feel like that's something nickname-wise, I feel like it's like a territory you're not allowed to go into. You can't give yourself a nickname. You can't call yourself something. So it's like whatever sticks from the outside is cool, and you don't really have much control over it, I guess, if you don't market it yourself. So I always try to stay out of it. Um but what else? Et, yeah, I guess baseball. I played, yeah, I played baseball all the way through high school, and then trap music. I don't, I don't really know what he means by that. But he literally it's said, he's definitely not what he, I'm listening to. He literally said he knows way more than trap music than you'd think, and I was like, I didn't think he knew anything. <laughs> yeah, I think, trying, I think he's more alluding to I'm, I'm invited to the barbecue. So hopefully, I'm, uh, that comes from this playoff round, but. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, fucking, I'm gonna fucking like end it. this shit. I'm gonna end this shit right here. I'm gonna end this shit. This is gonna swerve into territory that I don't feel comfortable going into. All right, Kevin, this has been an awesome convo, man. We appreciate the time. This is great, man. Perfect. Thank you guys very much. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's three percent on your favorite products at Apple. 
2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. There's one thing that my life as a professional athlete has taught me. It's the importance of a good night's sleep, and my sleep has improved big time ever since we started using a Helix mattress. Everybody is unique and sleeps differently, which is why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from. We selected a Helix model with a more responsive foam that cradles the body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions, which is great for anyone struggling with back pain. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. And right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash JJ and use code HELIXPARTNER20. That's HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Again, that's Helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash JJ. Use code HELIXPARTNER20. All right, we got the dream team together to draft. We're going to take a couple of mailbag questions. We got Kenny Beecham and Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese, Kenny, what's up? What's up? What's up? Excited to be here again, man. I didn't know if I was going to get a second invite. So uh, being here is cool. I got to say, Tyrese, we, we, we named him as the correspondent. We had him on. We had a good little run with him in like February. And then we didn't have him on the show for a while. So we hit him a few weeks ago when he was on to come on the show. And he's like, oh, I thought I thought I got fired, basically. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't notified. I was like, I, I people were asking, like, when you go back out? I'm like, oh, I, I think I got fired on my day off. I, I don't know. But no, I'm back. I'm back and better than ever. My access card didn't work. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we get before we get to these questions, uh, what do you guys think of uh, what's going on in Milwaukee right now, this series? It's dope. I've been having a lot of fun as a as a fan. Um, definitely bittersweet the way it's going at the moment because I want to see CP win his ring. But it's also I can't help but to look at a Giannis interview or a Drew Holiday interview and not like I can't root against those guys either. Uh, but I, I'm really really want to see CP get that ring. But uh, the last two games have been some of the best basketball um, or more entertaining basketball for me at least as a fan. So it's been cool. Giannis had two of the greatest NBA Finals plays that I've seen. Uh, I'm not going to compare his block to LeBron's block, but the block was one of the greatest defensive plays I've ever seen in any game. There's maybe one other guy in the world that can make that play. Um, And then, of course, the and one dunk at the end 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 of game five was spectacular as well. But to your point, Kenny, Giannis's interviews have been straight fire. Yeah, this guy's dropping knowledge in his interviews. Like his interview ta- the other day, where he was talking about, uh, you know, the the past being your ego, the future being your pride, and staying in the moment. Like I don't know anyone that has that perspective and has nailed it down and is living it out to that degree that he's doing. And he's young. He's so young. 
like I think in the last interview, um, LeBron was there sitting courtside and he made a reference like the first time LeBron was in the finals was 2007. I wasn't even playing basketball yet. And it's just so mind blowing to think that this man who's won two MVPs and potentially winning a finals MVP soon wasn't even playing basketball a little over a decade ago. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been uh, like Kenny's talking about, man, these, these games have been great. You know, I'd love to see it go seven. I don't I don't know the potential of that you know, with game six being in Milwaukee, but it's cool to see Wisconsin sports do well. Uh, you know, growing up, the Bucks were just trash, like so bad. Like people always ask me like, were you a Bucks fan growing up? I'm like a Bucks fan. Are you serious? Like, no, no, I was not, but I had a Brandon Jennings Jersey. So uh, there's that. But other than that, it was a, uh, it was dark to be a Bucks fan. So it's, it's cool to see them do well. And it's going to be a, a crazy, crazy, crazy time if Milwaukee wins this championship. So it's good to see them do well. But yeah, like you guys are talking about, it's Giannis. I, I love to see him committed to like, uh, like punishing people down in the paint and not settling as much. I feel like he's done a really good job, you know, the last three games of uh, posting up more, being better, and just running off handoffs and rolling really quick. He's done a really good job at that because I don't. I only think there's two guys that can match him. Physically on the Suns, I think Jay Crowder and DeAndre. But, you know, I think when Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson are some of the best 3 and D wings, uh, you know, in the in the league. And, you know, they just he's too strong and down low. So I think he's done a really good job, made some really good adjustments. So it's been an awesome series to watch. I have a question for JJ and Tyrese. When y'all are watching this, are y'all like watching it with your basketball knowledge in mind or is it more casual like are you looking at like plays being ran and coverages being ran or are you just being a, a fan I mean I think it's a little bit of both so full disclosure and and anybody who's been listening to the podcast the last couple of weeks knows this I did not watch the first three games of the finals um the game three I was scheduled to watch but an oyster party in my backyard got out of control and uh and I turned the game on too late uh the last two games I've watched uh both as a fan and as like a astute basketball observer and i've i the interesting part to me and i because i played with drew and and i i i like watching who he's matched up against and so in game four the bulk of it he was guarding chris was super disruptive picked him up full court which he had done in previous games um and then in game in game five you know, you saw him a little bit on Booker, a little bit on Chris. So, like, watching whoever he's matched up on, because you can pretty much, when he's on the ball, you can pretty much play any coverage you want. Like, you can put Brooke or Giannis in a drop. You can put them up. It doesn't really matter. Drew is is so physical, and he's going more so than any other, other player that I know of on the ball. And, Tyrese, you can speak to this as well. But he's going to dictate where you go. Um, better than anyone else on the ball. So you can sort of, you can almost funnel down to a drop, which a lot of teams have not had success in drop coverage against Chris and Devin during the playoffs. Um, I want to hear Tyrese's thoughts on that as well, but uh, I do want to give a shout out to Brandon Jennings because Tyrese just mentioned Brandon. So the other day I'm on Twitter and I'm like, why is Brandon Jennings trending on Twitter? And I fi- it was because of the Bucks and Six thing, which by the way, I just want to let everybody know, I was on that Bucks team. That was my team. <laughs> that was my team. No, I forgot. I and forgot you're on the Bucks. Look, uh, you know, you ever you, do you follow Classic Hoops on Instagram? 
I think so, yeah. Yeah, so like every now and then they'll, they'll be like forgotten Orlando Magic players and they'll do like a screenshot of like guys you don't remember playing for the Magic and I just can't wait for 10 years from now. Hopefully that Instagram feed still exists and they're going to be like forgotten Bucks players and it's going to be like, <laughs> yeah. yo, JJ played for the Bucks." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we had, we're playing the Heat, by the way, and they're the defending yeah. champs and we got, we're the eighth seed. We were the, we weren't just the eighth seed. We were 37 and 45 as the eighth seed. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> like, remember, I remember. We were losing at the end of the year and Toronto couldn't win a game. So we like snuck in the playoffs. So we're playing the defending champs. They got LeBron and D Wade. And in the span of 24 hours, uh, Brandon Jennings says Bucks and six. And then Monte gives an interview where he says that he's as good as D Wade, which Monte was a great player. And so was Brandon. But we're all just like, what, what the fuck, man? <laughs> What what is happening? Anyway, shout out to Brandon. I do remember that though because you guys, I think you guys didn't lose to them in the regular season. Like you guys were kind of like their kryptonite in the regular season. You guys played really well against the in the regular season. So going into playoffs, I remember they kept talking about ESPN. Like, could we see an eight-one upset? And then Brandon <laughs> Jenny said that, and I'm like, yeah, they're cooked. There's no way they're winning now. Uh, but to answer Kenny's question about how I, how I, how I approach these games, I think I kind of use both. I think like my basketball mind is on a lot of times. And I think the first thing I noticed about the series was like game one, PJ started off on Chris. And I remember I, th- I thought to myself, like, I think that what they're trying to do is switch ball screens so they can keep PJ on DeAndre and, you know, not have that big of a disadvantage down there. But I remember immediately the first thing I did I saw Alvin Gentry the next day, who obviously coached Drew in New Orleans and, you know, was with CP in LA. And I'm like, Alvin, man, they got to change it. He's like, he's like, they absolutely have to. He's like, I don't understand why they're, they're doing it in the first place. So it makes complete sense to me, the way they've adjusted and the adjustments that Milwaukee's made and just little things like to me, you know, CP, obviously like the point God or whatever, you know, but like, I just am so intrigued to see how he handles adjustments. Cause you know, he loves, JJ could probably attest to it. He loves like certain stuff like stack action. He absolutely loves that. And so just to see him kind of manipulate them defensively, obviously he's trying to get different matchups. CP's a lot of pick and roll, more so like, no, you come set this ball screen so I can get him on me. You know what I'm saying? So just paying more attention to that because as a young point guard, that's definitely something that I need to lock into. Well, he's, he's probably the best at it. You know, I would say him and LeBron are the two smartest players in basketball. And Chris is so good at manipulating both plays and matchups. And I it's I, I think it's been a little frustrating. You know, he he I don't think he's really talked a ton about this publicly, but he's clearly banged up, whether it's you know, he's got he's got his something on his right hand is taped up, his left wrist is taped taped up. He's made some uncharacteristic turnovers that we don't really see CP make where he's just kind of losing the ball. You know, he, he's, his handles is as good as anybody's and he's just kind of losing the ball. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, from the fan perspective to answer, uh, you know, to follow up on your, on your question, Kenny, from a fan perspective, like I want a game seven, I want a game seven. And the other part that I, I really, besides the matchup part and, and some of the coverage stuff, like I'm always intrigued by how, Milwaukee closes games and we talked about this earlier in this episode with with Kevin Herter but it's Chris Middleton is the guy like he is the guy down the stretch for them so how they're using Chris and Giannis in two-man action is really a a fun part of the game to watch should we draft we should well fuck you don't have a mailbag question I thought we were doing mailbag I got two I got two yeah 
Let's do right, the mailbag. Let's do mailbag. All right. Sorry. Jeez. <laughs> Chill out, man. We'll see All what right. you've cooked up here, bud. We'll see All what right. you've cooked first, up here. First question um, from uh, Bryson Luckett uh, emailed it in. He said, what's the worst purchase you guys have ever made? Mm. Mm. Jay, you're going first. No, you, Kenny, you start. Jay. Kenny, you start. <laughs> um, the worst purchase I've ever made. Yo, what's, what's crazy is I've, I don't know if I've ever regretted a purchase um ever like i collect sneakers don't regret any of that um i, I legit don't think i have anything wow i mean this maybe is, if we're I gonna to change this dude we're gonna come to chicago and we're gonna change this <laughs> if we're gonna i had to take you out <laughs> i think that i bought my house too early that would be mm. it um Things like that, though, you can't time the market. You can't time. Yes, true. But I wasn't even thinking yeah. about the market. I was thinking about like my own personal growth. Okay. Um, I could have afforded a way better house a year in the future. But that's it, though. Like, I, I just be, I spend the money and that's just it. I don't even think twice about it. Kenny, didn't you tweet the other day about watches being expensive? I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did that. Because um, the, the way it started. So my dad's birthday was this summer. Um, For my mom's birthday, I bought her a car. So I was like, I have to do something. It's not going to be on the same level. Obviously, it was a twenty-five thousand dollar car versus a watch for my dad. And um, I walked into that store, and this was before I knew a single thing about watches. Not a single thing. I knew that my dad had a couple pretty nice watches, but I never asked questions. I just saw him wear it. So I'm like, for his birthday, we'll get him another watch. I walked into it's like a Peacock store, maybe that's Universal. I don't know. And I look, I see a watch in the like in the window. I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful watch. Knowing nothing. So I go in and ask and I look at the price tag and he is explaining it, he's explaining it. And I don't want to be the guy to tell him to stop talking because it's out of my price range. So I let him talk for about 10 minutes about this watch for him to, um, for me to realize it's like a $15,000 watch. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay, what do you have in the $2,000 range? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, come towards the back of the store with me. Um, so I ended up getting my dad a, a nice watch. Um, but since then, I've been looking at a bunch of watches, but I haven't pulled the trigger on anything other than me and my dad's like matching watches. That's it. Love it. Yeah. Ty Tyrese, do you have a, a, a purchase you regret? Not okay. Maybe I'm lame for this, but I don't. I don't think so either. I'm think. I'm, I've been over here thinking, and the whole time Kenny's been talking, and I, I really can't. I really can't come up with with like, anything. What do you? What do you, buy, what do you? What do you spend money on? You spend money on rent, food. Um, yeah. your, your fits. Cause I see you on league fits all the time. You got to spend yep. some money on fits. Uh, um, yeah. I don't send that much. Though. I like, I like low key brands that send stuff for free. They're my favorite clothes. So hey, that's, talking. That, that is a smart, smart that's strategy. The, that's, that's the best stuff. Uh, but I don't buy like designer things. I was told that's more of like, you know, your vet will take care of you. So I don't really buy no maybe my wallet. Maybe I, that can't, I that, like can't a, that can't, that can't be a thing. Horrible, that is a horrible, horrible answer. answer. That horrible is a horrible answer. answer. I don't, if maybe it, did, do you, is it functional? Is it a functional wallet? It, what do you mean? It's a card holder. It holds my cards, yeah, so but it's designer. Not, and I don't, I'm like into designer stuff like that. I, how much I was really the wallet? He casually holds, holds up a Goyard wallet. Yeah. How much was the wallet? <laughs> Actually, maybe it wasn't a bad answer. How much was the wallet? I got it on StockX probably like, mm. Six seven hundred, maybe. Okay, but, that actually might be one of your worst. That's purchase. a bad purchase. That's but, a bad. Just, that's a bad I purchase. Just, <laughs> I just wanted a, a designer because I had nothing designer yet, and I was like, I got some money, I need some designer. But I mean, that's not a lot of money. I mean, okay, 
Let me okay. Let me stop. But yes, I am not. StockX wallets on StockX are, are generally not a great. Uh, I too have a ca- card holder. I got it for forty dollars, <laughs> and it holds all my wallets, and it's fully functional. Oh, all my cards, and it's fully functional. Um, Tommy, you're going to have to answer this question, but I'll go next. Um, I actually have two. Um, so, like Kenny, I also have a, a affinity towards watches, and I would say the first like big watch purchase I made was a uh, like a rose gold uh, Ublo um chronograph and i spent uh retail for it and shortly thereafter i realized that it traded on the secondary market for about 50 percent uh less than what i bought it for and when i went to sell it because i sold all my watches i um i took a haircut there but my real regret that i i really regret is um I was at a charity event my second year in the nba and i lived in a gated community that had a golf course and I bought at the end of the event, it was like 2 a.m. in the morning, and I clearly had had uh, a few drinks that night because I bought a yellow golf cart with rims for $10,000. Now, it went to charity, okay? This is a charitable purchase. But when I got the golf cart delivered, um, the, the community said, you have to have a uniform golf cart to drive it on the golf cart, golf course. So I couldn't even drive the golf cart on the golf course. So it just stood in my garage the whole time. That was a bad purchase. That yeah, was a bad that's purchase. rough. That's not that's great. Rough. All my worst purchases are shoes. I I'd say the, I, the the specific worst purchase I bought a pair of uh, like Valentino loafers because mm. I was going to like a wedding and I thought they looked cool and I literally got to the wedding and everybody made fun of them and I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't give I couldn't give them back because it's like once you wear them because I just have I just like have them but it's like the, I'm not I'm not unique in this but I don't have any purchases that are like. Oh, I spent ten thousand dollars on a golf cart, but I'm like, if it's a little bit like your wallet, where I'm like, I should not have spent five hundred dollars on loafers that I'm going to wear once, and everyone's going to make fun of, and that's it. AJ, I, I think I, I got an answer. I got an answer. I got a real answer. A blue bought, golf cart. I bought a Luka Doncic Top Shot moment <laughs> at the height of the market, the height when it was hot, and for like eighty five hundred. And you can get it now for probably like nine cents, yeah, nine, <laughs> like probably a couple hundred bucks, you know, and, uh, that's definitely the worst. That's definitely the worst one. Uh, you, but, you know, you've I, been tweeting top shot to the moon for months now. You, you probably I still believe that. Yeah, I still okay. believe it, but I just, I got hit on this Luca moment Tyrese pretty, the, pretty hard. Tyrese is the last believer. Uh, right. We got one more. We have one more question. <laughs> All right. What is it? Who in the who in the NBA from Miles Stewart? Who in the NBA do you think would be the best non basketball Olympic athlete? Mm. Mm. I have my answer. Okay, I I'm picking Drew. Wow, I think Drew in is the what most sport ins- in what event? Gymnastics. I don't know. <laughs> gymnastics. I think Drew is like the craziest. Drew is like the craziest athlete, and like it's the craziest body control. I feel like he would just. He, he may he probably has never done gymnastics before, but I think that if he tried it, he would get a gold. Like on the rings, like you're saying, like on like the Simone rings Biles, like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. The the first thing that came to mind for me is like put Giannis in some type of track and field, like a long jump. Mm. Put him in a long jump and let him just go crazy. I like that one. I like that one. What you're saying in a non basketball sport? Yeah, it can't right? be basketball. Yeah. I could see LeBron being really good at water polo. 
like really good <laughs> water polo. <laughs> what? Yeah, I think so. Got great upper body strength, super endurance. Uh, I don't know what his his uh, you know swimming skills are like, but I just like put him in a in a sport that requires endurance and strength, and like I'm like I, LeBron in water polo for me. Yeah, I mean, I, that's where my that's where my mind went right away. But I don't know what sport uh, <laughs> water polo. That's an interesting take. I was thinking maybe like a speed aspect where I could say like somebody fast, but like no track runners are t- knocking us out the park. So I don't really have anybody. But let's we'll go with LeBron and some something. He's probably good at something. All right, I like it. All right, I All like right. it. Let's get to the draft, Tommy. Let's uh, let's be very clear on the draft topic here. What is the draft topic? These guys know how to draft. We'll have Kenny go first, yes. since he is sort of the guest because uh, Tyrese is the correspondent. So Kenny, Tyrese, Tommy, me, we'll snake it. What's the draft topic? Draft topic: movies that you would, in honor of Space Jam, movies that you would like to see remade. Great, Kenny, you're up. There's definitely a theme with my movies. I was talking to my girlfriend beforehand. I'm like, man, the second time on, the second time we have a movie slash TV thing, one of these days they're going to put me on a a draft that I know something about. And she was like, well, what do you know about? And I was like, that's a very good question. (laughs) So uh, my first pick, um, we need a good Fantastic Four movie. You know, they, they did the reboot. I was super excited. Michael B. Jordan gets a part to play a superhero. And it was just a bad, bad movie. Um, and even the originals was just really bad. Who, who is it? I, I forget some of the characters that ran it, but I think they might be working on it because it's a it's a property. I think Marvel just just got the actual rights to, but a good one like under some good production and um, similar to like the actual comics will be a W. I like that pick. That's a good. I pick. like that pick. Good way to start. All right, so are, does that mean all of yours are? superhero themed is that is that you know can you don't have to answer that question don't is answer that, that question there's he's trying a, to, he's trying, there's to pick, he's trying he's trying to game you right now don't answer it there's <laughs> a very specific type of movie that i watch i'll all say right. that all right if it's coming back okay it's my pick and i i'm gonna take uh i'm gonna pick Catwoman. oh wow. Wow. it was good on pick. my list definitely was on my that, list wow good very good pick Wow. They just need to do it better. Can it you expand to, on why? How many have they be made? They, they made two, right? There's the uh, they made two, right? There was the Holly Berry one and the Michelle Pfeiffer one. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a TV show that's running right now too. Okay. All right. I like yeah, that. Just redo it. Just redo it. Like Halle Berry, the Halle Berry one. With all due respect to Halle Berry, if she hears this, it was not not the best. It won it. awards for being the worst movie of the year. Like that's how bad. Yeah. But of, of a movie it was. I think I think we're gonna have Halle Berry on this show, and we're gonna bring Tyrese on to defend this take. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, Tommy. All right. I'm going. White man can't jump is my first one. Wow. Okay. Loved loved the movie. But no why? No slight to no slight yeah. to the original movie, which I think is a, is great. I think holds up to a certain extent, but I think basketball has changed a lot. I think street hoops has changed a lot since 1991 when it came out. I think Wesley and Woody Harrelson are amazing actors and they're funny in that, but neither of them can play basketball. And I'm not saying you need to cast it with players, but I think that if you took White Men Can't Jump and you said it maybe 
maybe you could keep it in LA, but just updated it. You know, a lot of, a lot of the things in the movie, it's a, it's a, it's the classic like idea of a movie that could be remade a couple of different times with different cast of characters. And if there's enough unique tweak, uh, tweaks on it, it could be good. Okay. I, so here's the thing. I have one movie like that, or actually two, a mo- uh, couple movies like that, that were great movies at the time. But for whatever reason, and I'll make my arguments when they come up, I want to see them remade. For my first pick, I want to grab this now so that it doesn't get drafted later on in this draft. I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Space Jam 2. <laughs> you, want to see, you want to see another Space Jam? Okay. I wish good, Space, I wish Space Jam 2 could get remade. It probably, <laughs> it probably will be in 10 years. Uh, second one, The Last Airbender. Oh my God. That was my second pick. Um, I watch, I like a year and a half ago, I watched pretty much every season with my kids. Um, it was on Netflix and I watched every season with my kids. The cartoon is fucking amazing. I love M night Shyamalan friend of the show, friend of mine. Uh, that movie sucked and (laughs) I, I would love to see that movie remade. Man, those are two good picks. I like the Airbender one. He just butchered the source material so bad in that in the live action one. So it definitely it should have been on my draft for sure. I should have just picked it first because no one was picking what I picked. I, I don't know what I'm thinking. <laughs> all right, Tommy. I think I just went in a totally different direction than all you guys. I'm going my second pick. I'm going the Breakfast Club. Jeez. You ever see that movie? Either of you? Maybe two years. We could see it, right? <laughs> That's another one. It's Tommy's, another. Tommy's Tommy's only picking late late picking, 80s, early I'm pick, 90 I'm classics. Picking, I'm picking good movies. <laughs> he wants to get I'm, be, I'm picking good movies that if they like re, if they made the like the Breakfast Club like more diverse, like say oh, they like yeah. set that in Chicago and it wasn't I, just a bunch of white people. It was like it was like real what like real America is now and like a, a more representative cast. It could be like a fire movie or Netflix. You make good arguments. You make good arguments, but okay. Kenny's T- Kenny's. Tommy, not. I like Tommy. I like that pick more than your first pick. Honestly, I like that pick. Terry's, you need hate. to you need to think things through. You could be starring in the White Man Can't Jump reboot. <laughs> so but instead like, of instead of hating on my pick, you could be cashing I'm a not check hating, just from Universal not, or, or whoever. People don't play basketball outside like that anymore, like they used to. But you know, you're you're th- you're you're deal. You're deal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> my pick i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna go with jaws the original oh, Jaws. oh, I had oh that. my gosh i had that too the cgi i should have, I should have picked that one, earlier yeah do you guys ever get feel like having a laugh go watch the first jaws you know that you know that what you know that wasn't cgi that wasn't cgi that was a practical legit, yeah like it, it, irl in real life fake shark <laughs> Yeah, they need, they just need to redo it. They need to redo it so that we can show it to our kids and they'll believe it's an actual shark. So I'll say Jaws. All right. Not bad. I like it. Can you get I get two. back to back, right? Yep. Yep. Okay, so this is a good movie or I guess a good series, but it's also very old and I would love to see it updated with new technology. Um, another Wesley Snipes film. I'm going with the Blade series. I would love to see it remade. I know it's in the work. I think we're Mahershala Ali. Um, but I need to see it right now. You know, it's it such a great series before for the people that are listening, the original topic was like movies you want to star in on the remake. 
and that was number one on my list. If you wanted to make Blade a five eight guy, that's twenty four. <laughs> cast me. Um, that that would be my second pick. I could see that. Um, and and this one's similar to JJ's pick. Um, I'm not saying we need another live action version of this movie, but Dragon Ball Evolution. If we were going to do, if we're going to do another live action Dragon Ball movie, it has to be better than Evolution. Get the source material right. Get the get the characters to actually act like the characters, and it could turn out to be a good movie. Don't try to make it be in 2020 instead of you know the actual future like Dragon Ball is. All right, I like it. I was I'm gonna take this pick because I was scared Kenny was just about to pick it, and honestly, it might not be brought up, but. Back to the Future. What the fuck? God. Mm. I had uh, five movies on my list, and you guys have picked two of them already. And Tyrese, you actually picked two of them. You know, I apologize for that. But Back to the Future, it could be a really good job of allowing, like, uh, like our parents or, you know, to, you know, you could go back to, like, you could even, like, if they made it years from now, they could go back to, like, the 90s or 2000s, and that would be, like, a good laugh, but go farther into the future. I think the CGI has improved to where it can have really good, uh, like futuristic graphics and things like that. So I'll say Back to the Future. I'm kind of amazed they haven't done it yet. It feels like that. They, they said I I was reading about it today, and the the director and the screenwriter had it in their contract that if there's anything made again on Back to the Future, they get a say in it. And so they both agreed that they'll not they won't let anything else come out until they die. Interesting. Interesting. All right, my third pick. Have you guys ever seen the movie The Warriors? I'm picking The Warriors. Have you seen it, Tyrese? I have seen that. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good yeah. pick. I think if you do The Warriors in a different city, because you can't do it in New York now because New York's too soft. But if you did The Warriors in, uh, you know, I mean, there's a, bunch of, there's a bunch of other places you could do it in. And it doesn't even, by the way, it doesn't even have to be in the U.S. It could be in like Rio or something like that. But like that concept of them fighting their way, there probably isn't a great American city to do it in. But if the concept of them fighting their way through the city to get back home, I is think cool. Chicago can could work for that. With because yeah. we have the L train that's you know goes through the city of the different uh, territories. That's a great pick. I love the game back in the day. That's how I got introduced to the movie through the game. Love that. Love that, Tommy. You. You guys, JJ's getting a little nervous. No, I'm not getting nervous. I'm not getting nervous. <laughs> everybody knows. Everybody knows. Uh, Interstellar is my favorite movie. I would obviously never want that movie to get remade. Um, my second favorite movie is is Swingers. Who not everybody's seen that. It's a little bit of a cult classic. Vince Vaughn, John Favreau. Um, I would like to see that movie get remade uh, in today's world. So the basic premise of the movie is a bunch of struggling actors in LA circa 1995. They bite on a bunch of different movies, some Tarantino stuff. Um, it's a comedy, but I think it'd be fun to do like that version, except maybe like struggling, uh, like struggling tech guys in San Francisco or, uh, you know, struggling finance bros in New York, just some, some version of that. What about struggling YouTubers, Kenny? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like something like that struggling yeah. youtubers um and then the other movie i actually would love to see this get remade it, there was a sequel to it which was actually worse than the original film uh, which many uh sequels are but starship troopers uh it's a cult classic it's a terrible terrible movie but i love it and i'd love to see that movie remade but redone right it's a great great 
great movie. I've, I've never seen it. It's a great, horrible movie. It's a great, horrible movie. All right. This might be controversial. My fourth pick. I'm going Wizard of Oz. Jeez. <laughs> imagine. Jason, um, Chris. Imagine, imagine, wizard, imagine, wizard, imagine Wizard of Oz in 2021. Imagine the, stuff, imagine the stuff they could and try. Summit, Tommy's fix. Please chime in. Oh, my God. <laughs> JJ's, 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 JJ is shook hard right now. This is what happens. Tommy when he wants to remake Citizen Kane. <laughs> this is what happens when he doesn't prep. Oh, the Godfather. <laughs> like what, what other classics does Tommy want to remake? All right, Tyrese. I'm feeling. I'm sitting pretty right now. Oh my God. Jaws. Is, uh, Jaws is the one know. that killed me. Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll say uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. I think it's a I think it's a classic movie, uh, but a lot of people and like kids, like you know, people around my age, they're not they're not trying to go back and watch that. So like you know, some people just aren't interested in old films. So it's still obviously racism is still relevant in our world. So. I think it, it's a movie that I think could still do well if, if it were to be remade. But the original movie is still classic, great movie. It's a good pick. I think it's a good, good pick because the themes are the themes could hold up now and you could add different context to them. Um, I have accepted that um, I'm coming last in this draft, so let's have fun on these last picks. Uh, I want a I want a new new uh, Power Rangers movie. Oh my god. Um, again, the theme, <laughs> the theme at first was like movies you want to star in. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll be the I'll be the Black Power Rangers and the Red Power Rangers. So I'll take that. They did one recently, um, and it was just really bad. It was really bad. So I want to see it better. And then the last one, um, it's completely different than my other picks. My other picks were just bad movies that I want to see good. This is a good movie that I want to see updated. It was actually a sequel in itself. I want to see um John Carpenter's The Thing remade in 2021. Okay. I, I, that, that's a great pick. Yeah, that's a good that's a pick. pick. Thank you. Kenny, your draft is underrated. Do you think that? Do you think that? Like, even with CGI, CGI, like it would be possible. I don't think to it have could get better. A, honestly, no. I'm saying with CGI Power Rangers. Do you think it'd be possible to make a good Power <laughs> Rangers movie? I think with good writing, it'll you can make an okay Power Rangers movie, a fun Power Rangers movie. It's not going to win a, an award or anything, but you know, if it can get me to stay in a theater, because I am not opposed to walking out of a movie theater. I've done it before on the Power Rangers. I did it on the Power Rangers. Um, if it can keep, keep me interested for two hours, that's all I want. That's sometimes I want. I'll sometimes I'll walk through my living room and Power Rangers will be on Netflix. My kids will be watching it. And it's just like the dialogue in those shows, man. <laughs> it's so bad. It's terrible. It's so bad. Yeah, it's terrible. But I'm, I'm happy to hear that your kids are watching good things. Yes. For sure. Yes. yes. All right, uh, Tyrese, close it out. My last pick, personal pick. It's actually my all-time favorite movie uh, for childhood reasons. Uh, but looking back, it's not that great of a movie. Uh, Love and Basketball. Mm. Um, I would love to, to, to help direct it. And I, looking back on it, me and De'Aaron talk about all the time. It's just not that good because the way that he treats her and then she ends up going back to him anyway, it's not very good. Like, you got to come up with a better way for something bad to happen to him and you know him to be mad at her but have to earn her back you know just a better way to go about it so i'll say love and basketball yeah he definitely dogged her for that movie the whole movie the whole movie is bad Terry's, can i can i raise an idea to you what's that what if you started acting because mm. i because i feel like we got two movies right now 
because you're a very charismatic guy and you're a good player. We got two movies right now that if they were casting these movies, I'm thinking about who would who in the league would be in that spot. I feel like you would be in like strong consideration for either of those roles if they remade them. You're talking about Love and Basketball and Space Jam, Space Jam Two. Three, three, and One Man Can't Jump. <laughs> no. We got three. We got th- <laughs> no, I know, Tommy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, <laughs> I like it. All right, my my fifth pick. You also might be able to star in. I was thinking about going. He got game, uh, which is another one of my favorite movies. I'm not going to though. That's a movie Tyrese could have starred in for sure. My logic, <laughs> my logic there is that I thought that movie was ahead of its time, but I think there's so much that has happened since then in the business of basketball that would be interesting to see in a remake. But I'm actually going to pick another classic movie. I'm going to pick Airplane because I think that I think that spoof movies need to come back. And I that agree was, with you. That was a great spoof movie. It's a scary movie. There's so, not another team movie. There's so many great spoof movies. And for whatever reason, they just like went away in like 2005. And like, there's a lot to make fun of, you know? So Airplane was the best. And so I think that they could bring that back. I used to love those parody movies as a kid. Like I loved them. They were so good. Um, I actually like that pick. It's the only pick of yours I like. Um, my, <laughs> um, my fifth pick is The Beach. So basically, uh, same plot, just make it a good movie this time. Um, have y'all seen it? God, what the fuck, man? Did y'all watch any movies in 1996 and 1997? I was born in 96. <laughs> <laughs> J- JJ's movie bag is too deep for me. I can't. I'm not anywhere close. I think the beach is too, too deep for a lot of people, to be honest with you. It was a flop because it was such a bad movie. So it start, it, Leonardo DiCaprio starred in it. And he basically he's a he's a tourist traveling through Thailand, and he stumbles upon this group that knows about this secret beach, this myth mythical beach, and they he they take him to the beach, and they have this like commune there, and everything is pretty kosher, and then one thing leads to another, and and things fall fall, fall apart. But the concept of the movie was actually really good. It just was a really poorly done movie. Um, all right, I I think we're all winners in this. I think we're all winners in this. I I tend to like people that stick with themes. Um, so Kenny, I, I think you did a great job. Uh, Tyrese, you had you had great picks overall. Um, Tommy picked a bunch of movies that don't need to be remade and never should be remade. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. We, We're all winners. Thanks, thanks, for, the all anal- winners. thanks for the analysis. <laughs> We're all winners. Next time, next time, Kenny, we're not going to make you draft movies. But to be fair, I'm pretty sure you came up with this topic. After I specifically... I think I did. Okay. I think I did. Okay, then blame him because I specifically said in the text thread, I said, do not make Kenny draft movies. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I just, I don't know what else there really is. I don't know what I can really talk about. Kenny, I feel like the next time we shoot the text to you guys, like, hey guys, we're drafting, cut, let's come up with a topic. Like you just pick the topic. Like yeah, we're all uh, going to go radio silent until you start dropping some ideas. Okay. You pick the topic next and time. And Kenny, because you're now in the family, and so you need to curse us out. Or maybe don't curse, but just tell us no. Be like, I don't want to draft this stupid topic. I want to draft <laughs> something that I know about. This is all JJ and I do all day long is I suggest topics, and he's like, no. Yo, the, the, other, day, no. the other day he's texted me. He'd say, we should draft gas, best gas station foods. And I was like, I don't think that's a bad ga- topic. We, there's no food at gas stations. <laughs> that's not true have you guys been like on a rest stop there's, there's like proce- hot dogs there's processed snacks there's pizza yeah. there's processed that, snacks that's a bad topic <laughs> <laughs> that's 
That's a bad topic. I don't know. <laughs> Thank depends, you for co-signing. All it right. Depends what state you're in, but okay. Tyrese and Kenny, we, yeah, if you're going to a Wawa, but that's like most generic gas stations. Yeah. Or Quick Trip. Or Quick Trip. Shout out yeah. Quick Trip. Um, all right, Kenny, Tyrese, we appreciate you guys, man. Thanks for hopping on with us. A lot of fun as always. Of course, for sure. Thanks, guys. If you like The Old Man of the Three, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus